Hey, Rachel. Hello, Brian. So how was your week? Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you know the feeling when you're stuck in jury duty all day and you're like prohibited from using any sort of electronic devices. And yeah, it's you not get, just like turn off the ringer, like off. No, it's like off. Yeah. And you get out at five o'clock and you turn on your phone and there are all these crazy ass notifications that you turn around, you go running back into the courtroom and you seek asylum in <laughs> like the in jury the box. Yes. <laughs> like, like you've been released into Trump world and you won out. Yeah, you I won out. Back. I won off this train. You won back into the halls of justice. Yes. Where yes. Justice can just prevail. Just me in justice. So. <laughs> okay, we'll dig into all those push notifications. This is This Week in Nope. The podcast where we shut it down. My name is no, my sign is no, my number is no. You need to let it go, you need to let it go, need to let it go. Okay, Rachel, well, it's been a really long time since we've had a guest. And, you know, there's a reason for that. It's people want to be on the show. It's that we are very selective about who we let on the show. We are the most selective of all of the podcasts. (laughs) We're like... Harvard, Yale, Princeton, MIT, and Cornell all rolled into all one. All combined. All combined. And uh, today we have a very special guest. This is her third time being on this I podcast. I think yeah. it's the third time. And my Photoshop must have been really good to be admitted to this program. Yes. Or Felicity Huffman was your mother. <laughs> yes. You were on the crew team. So we have our <laughs> coxswain, <laughs> Lauren Good senior writer for Wired, host of their Gadget Lab podcast, friend of the pod, just fabulous person, and um, welcome, Lauren. Welcome. Thank you. I'm and so happy your, to be here. In your honor, we're drinking wine instead of bourbon, which is, <laughs> we're mixing it up a little bit. That's right. And I'm so happy to be in New York, and you'll be happy to know that last night as I was on my way home, I said to my friend, I'm going to take the yellow subway line and then the red line. And she said... <laughs> What is that? <laughs> I said, you know, the NQRW to the one three. And she said, Lauren, nobody calls it that. So um, I think I might not be welcomed back into New York after that. But at one point, I did live here. And you did the live here. So, so you've really the memory fades. The memory yes, fades exactly. very quickly. Now I just refer to the lines as colors. <laughs> okay. Well, we're so glad you're here. We have a lot to talk about, Rachel. There's a you're, lot of ground uh, to my cover. My head is spinning. You're the only one sane here. Why don't, why don't you uh, lead the way? Wow. Gosh. Okay. So. <laughs> So um, we were going to talk about the debate, but honestly, like it was pretty boring. There were yet again too many people. Although I missed Marianne Williamson, she yeah, did bring some love and like passion. To I didn't the see it. I was at a bar. Yeah, quartz and crystals. Yeah, I, I was at a bar that. that was having in their big room. They were having a, a debate night party, and they had been advertising it that all kinds of people were going to be there. And it was we weren't in the debate room party. We were having dinner out front, and then I had to walk through it to get to the bathroom. So I said, "Oh, let me." catch a minute of the debate and see the crowds. And it was one table with a Pete Buttigieg sign up. Uh-huh. Like, that was it. That was like, it. Like, in a huge room. So it failed, despite endless promotion by CNN, every 24-7, with the countdown from a week yeah, ago. Yeah, and the New York Times moderating. Exactly. It failed, to, it failed to really compel the interest that they had thought it would. Yeah, there's too many candidates. But there, there were a few moments worth mentioning. I think, like, I've heard Joe Biden say this thing that is, like, it's like nails on a chalkboard for me. He says, like, whenever he talks about Trump, he says that he's scared of him because Biden's going to 
beat him like a drum. Like a drum. Like a drum. And I'm like, why a dr- like why is that phrase it's very menacing? So notable that you have to say it over and over again. Do you think it's that? <laughs> did they did you think ingenious? they focus tested it and yeah, they're like that's they the workshopped one that- it. Oh, I want I would be a fly on the wall in Joe Biden's <laughs> workshop and they're like beat him like scrambled eggs. <laughs> beat him like a drum. Beat him like a no, we can't go there. Beat him what like should a we heart? say? Yeah, beat him like exactly. an egg. Like an egg. Like an egg. Like an egg. <laughs> yes, but then you'd upset the poultry and egg industry. I don't know. Like out of the I, I don't know this stuff. Uh, it just sounds like something that like uh, like a fuddy duddy grandpa would Yeah, it's say. like a dad joke or it's, a granddad joke. Yeah, and it's it's just like how about just beat him like that thing when you beat somebody in an election and get more votes. <laughs> like how about that? Just beat him. Yeah, I'm just going to beat him. Just one just, electoral vote. That's all we, we need. Don't, we don't, I don't need, need these, a, I don't need a don't drum. Need I don't need eggs. <laughs> we don't need these <laughs> metaphors. We don't need Esther Williams on a diving <laughs> board. <off> <laughs> <laughs> I'm alluding to some other thing that happened like 50 years ago with Joe Biden, <laughs> but like we don't need corn pop taking a swing with razor blades in his fingers. It's just all of these like old metaphors. It's too much. I can't. It's like a scratched record. It's like it's, a it's like a scratched record that keeps playing the same song the same over song, and over. Oh, change it up, Joe Biden. Yeah, we need a remix. Yes, please, we need a please. Remix. Okay, so Joe Biden was a big fail. It was a big fail, and then there was this horrible triggering. Um, Warren Biden confrontation when she was talking about her achievement at creating the Consumer Financial Protection Board, which was a very big deal. And Biden just kind of like took credit for it and said like he like wagged his finger at her and got all in her face and was like, I got votes for that. And like basically well, he got like votes for it. Okay. you owe me like your success, you know, and it was a and then very- he was like. But to be fair, you did a very good job running it. And she was like, um, <laughs> I appreciate all the work President Obama did, which was a wonderful she did retort. Say that. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was it was really good. But any woman who's ever been in a meeting <laughs> can relate to that moment. And I just found it to be really off putting and horrible. It sounds like it was patronizing. And yeah. I'm just gonna be honest, I didn't get to watch the debates last night. Not even I, in a bar for thirty seconds. Not even in a bar that was like highly sponsored by CNN or whatever experience you had it sounds really interesting (laughs) i went to ronan farrow's book reading or it wasn't exactly a reading it was a conversation with rebecca traster who is a well-known columnist she's amazing she's amazing she's has many titles not just columnist for new york magazine but she interviewed him in downtown manhattan and i did go and it was running a little late and so it went late and um so i only saw the debate afterwards in clips and quotes so you saw that's the way that's that's the way america experiences baseball that is the way to experience yes. it. I'm That's not the kidding. best way. Most of yes. it was very boring. Nobody and, and I saw ball all anymore. these quotes. The highlights. That's yeah. exactly right. And I saw, you know, I've seen the the Warren and Biden exchange, and I and I'm just like, that sounds patronizing. And I have kind of no other context for it. Yeah, and uh, Pete Buttigieg uh, dissing uh, Julian Castro, right? Yeah. About like bravery or something, mm-hmm. courage. courage. And Buttigieg apparently having the only coherent response on Syria. Like these things, are, they're all snippets yes. at this point. Yeah. So what other snippets, Rachel, did you glean? Well, you actually watched it, so you I get more than watch snippets. It. That's why I you're think... leading the segment. <laughs> That's right. That's why I'm like, hmm, I'm just going to listen and learn. I mean, I think the most interesting thing about it and the biggest nope was the last question. Remember last week, there was this whole hubbub when... Ellen DeGeneres was spotted at a Dallas Cowboys game sitting in like the billionaire's box and she was, you know, palling around with George W. Bush and taking selfies and smiling and people were like, 
maybe you shouldn't be friends with George W. Bush. Like, he's not exactly, like, pro-LGBT. He didn't exactly support (laughs) the policies that, like, you stand for. And she, like, gave this really dumb in my opinion, explanation that like you need to accept people with differences, which I well, thought he's was, an artist now. He's an artist. He's in the arts. He's in the arts. But I, I mean, and she was just like, yeah, and I have these friends and they're very fancy. And like they took us into the box and it was just like all these oh. fancy and just like, shut up, Ellen, you're a fucking billionaire <laughs> too. And it, like, it's just like money conquers all. You right. can like, you can erase the money. Your people are all friends with each other. Yes. That's the great leveler. That's the great, the great leveler. Right. So that was the inspiration for the final question of the debate in which Anderson Cooper asked each of the candidates to talk about an unlikely friendship that they have (laughs) that's similar to Ellen and George W. Bush. And I just wanted to kill myself. (laughs) So I will ask you, Brian and Lauren, tell me about an unlikely friendship that you have. That has changed your views about this. Not fair. Those guys at least get debate prep. Although I don't (laughs) think they were prepared for that. Prepared for that one. Okay, I'll go. Um, I just, I I remember this guy. I just got an email from him today. So, you know, I mentor a lot of founders and entrepreneurs through the accelerator, and we do a global program. uh, ERA. Yeah, at ERA, yeah. And uh, we get founders from Korea. Uh Um, and they're very entrepreneurial in spirit, but things work a little differently there. So some things, sometimes things are a little off kilter. And this guy, whose name is not really George, but he goes by George here. We call him Georgie. Um, I met Georgie. Yeah. We went out with Georgie. We did Did karaoke. karaoke? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He fell asleep. Right. Okay. (laughs) Right. Right. I was sitting in the back of the Uber with him and he was falling asleep. Yes, he fell asleep. So (laughs) he, um, he loves the mountains and he has a very important, uh, important to him skincare regimen, and he makes drones. He was in the military. He was in the military, and uh, he makes drones. And uh, he wrote me an email after a year, the last time I saw him, saying that he was, you know, to be fair, he speaks more English than I speak Korean. So True. out of respect. But um, it was difficult to interpret what was actually happening. But in the email, he, it was sort of like he's coming to New York, but I wasn't really sure. But he said he listens to the podcast every week, yes. which is amazing. And because we see like we have one listener in Korea. And now we know, <laughs> and who, now it we know who it is. <laughs> but he said, I listen to your podcast every week. I love this this week in this, this week. weed in Nope. <laughs> This weed in no. That's a spinoff. Which is a great, that's our cat. Because you know when there's a successful podcast, like in the the network. Right. (laughs) So, right. We're going to do a a edibles. An (laughs) edibles companies. Call us. We are are fully. We're available for private label podcasting. Full-throated endorsements Okay. that's So, Georgie, I love you. You're my unlikely but wonderful friend. Oh, that's a good one. Lauren, what's yours? All right. So, I'm a little bit on the spot. I will say that I have probably some family members who I don't necessarily agree with in terms of politics and just ways of thinking. Um, but I also think it's an opportunity to redefine what a friend is. Oh, okay. The way that you're describing, oh, yeah, well, you know, the wealthy are friends with the wealthy inevitably. And so they have these like slippery slopes when it comes to principles and who they accept and whatnot. And is that really a friend? And so if we have people in it our lives that we fundamentally disagree with in terms of how we just want to live our lives and what brings us joy and those two things like you are diametrically opposed with somebody you have the right at this point to consider them not a friend but an acquaintance oh so you can demote people 
I mean, it's not exactly demoting. It's just, you know, I think in this age of social media and Twitter and Instagram and everything, we consider people friends who are not actually friends in the truest terms. And yeah. friends should be people who you like feel the a inner circle. With, you feel a yeah. With. And so maybe Ellen was using, I'm not apologizing for her, by the way, but maybe like that whole idea of friends was used like loosely as part of a post-event marketing scheme mm, and i'm sure it was like a, which is a like, long way of saying you're un- dodging the question like what's an unlikely <laughs> yeah but like what's an unlikely friend like would you consider this person who you're talking about a friend i don't know she asked the question I don't know. is this a friend what okay is a you friend? don't have an answer rachel what's you must friend? you can't i gotta throw it right back at you who's your unlikely yes. friend okay well I, that's an easy answer i'm yes. going to talk about interspecies friendship my dog is my unlikely friend because I, I never... a beautiful, beautiful monster. She's wonderful. And I never had a dog growing up. And she's taught me so much already. I've only had her for like four months. And she frequently has diarrhea. <laughs> and, <laughs> like so many of our best friends, our unlikely friends. <laughs> and so I she's never, not diametrically opposed. She's, she's diuretically, she's a diuretically <laughs> opposed. So yes, I did not think that my life would consist of cooking chicken and rice for a dog. But that is what I've been doing for the past several weeks. And so that is my okay, unlikely friend. So yep to the unlikely friends, but nope to that debate. Nope to that's a big question. I didn't even watch it, and I'm saying no. Added nothing. Okay, Rachel, take us. We're going a little more into politics, right? A little bit more, yeah. Um, I want to talk about this uh, Fiona Hill testimony this week in the impeachment inquiry. And she was the former Ukrainian specialist, and she came to testify this week. And she testified for like 10 hours and said that John Bolton had reservations about this shadow Ukrainian pressure campaign that was being orchestrated by um, Trump's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. And Bolton told Fiona Hill that Giuliani's a hand grenade who's going to blow everybody up. And this was in the New York Times. So then reporters called Giuliani to ask him what his reaction is to being called a hand grenade. And in response, it escalated very quickly. Like, um... He went nuclear. He put out a statement saying that it is ironic that John Bolton is calling anyone else a hand grenade when John is described by many as an atomic bomb. Oh, so literally it's going literally, nuclear. <laughs> literally. Like, where do you go from there? So we've got these two advisors, like... Equally insane. <laughs> equally well, no, ins- no, nobody's as insane as Rui. No. They're reprehensible and insane. Yes. Differently. But, and they're they're calling each other weapons. It's like, like, a, it's like a new arms race. It's... <laughs> We are back in the 80s. There's an arms race. It's like an I'm rubber, you're glue kind of disgusting schoolyard Well, they fight. take their cue from Trump. That's what he does, yes, right? Yes, yes. And it's it's dangerous. And I just feel like, you know, when John Bolton is like the sane person in the room, you know you're like in living through the apocalypse. <laughs> like this is... He's a truth teller. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, he could have told the truth several months ago. Yeah. Like, but why he wanted is, his job. Yeah. And then he lost his job. He and now his, he's... Telling the truth. He wanted his power. Okay, so that was terrible. So that was terrible. And then speaking of Rudy, um, it was revealed today, Wednesday, that uh, since early this year, there has been actually a counterintelligence investigation um, on the dealings of Rudy Giuliani. Oh, so this is more deep state. This is like, I mean... <laughs> Wait, who conduct, who, what entity in the government conducts the a counterintelligence? FBI? Oh, so this is more FBI, like, you know, conspiracy theory fodder. 
right? The FBI is investigating the, the government well, and, and wiretapping Trump Tower. Right? I hope so. I mean, there could be <laughs> there could be a wiretap on Rudy. And this means that the intelligence community felt that Rudy Giuliani was a national security threat, which, which clearly is, is super ironic considering his position in like our popular imagination as like the, you know, the mayor of New York during 9-11. And now he is the terrorist. He is the threat. Yeah. So that happened. <laughs> that happened while I was in jury duty. And then um, and that assaulted then, you when you came yes, out of jury duty. I was duty. like, what? Okay. And then there's this guy, Peter Navarro. This is the craziest thing that happened this week. This, this doesn't so much have to do with the impeachment inquiry, but it's a Trump advisor. Um, Peter Navarro is like his China muse. He's right, a lunatic. You wonder, like, where, who are the people who are giving them these horrible, horrible ideas? Right. And we knew about this name. And like, didn't he originally find his name on Amazon? Like, didn't Don think, Jr. like. Or like Jared searched Jared, Amazon. Right, searched Am- Amazon for like China policy books. Yes. And like came up with this book and Trump's, you know, summoned him. And that's how he became and the most powerful had, man in trade. Yes. And they had like a Vulcan mind meld because he's the only person on earth who thinks that like a trade war is like <laughs> going idea. to benefit anybody. And um, he's written a lot of these books where he often quotes um, an economist that inspires him. And the economist's name is Ron Vara, V-A-R-A. And Ron Vara... So Navarro says that it's this guy. Navarro Ron writes books and quotes this guy, Ron Vara. Okay. And Ron Vera says things like, don't play checkers in a chess world. Oh, that's very deep. And like, <laughs> he'll start chapters with quotes from Ron Vera. Another quote from Ron Vera is, only the Chinese can turn a leather sofa into an acid bath, a baby crib into a lethal weapon, and a cell phone battery into a heart-piercing, heart-piercing shrapnel. Oh, we're doing okay. that later, actually. We're having an arts and crafts workshop. That's why you brought me here, for the cell phone batteries. Yeah. So we can ask ourselves, who is Ron Vera? Who is Ron Vera? And why is he not the U.S. trade representative? Right. Shouldn't he be the one? Yes. Go right to the source. Cut out the middleman. Go right to the source. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Vertically integrate. So the Chronicle of Higher Education reported this week that um, Ron Vera only exists in Peter Navarro's mind. He is an anagram of Navarro. Oh, God. So when... Oh, God. Ron uh, Vera... Who among us? <laughs> who among us does an quote an anagram of our own names right. and quote them in our books? So um, Peter Navarro, in a statement, when he was asked by the Chronicle of Higher Education to explain this, he admitted that Vera is a whimsical device and a pen name... <laughs> I've used throughout the years. And then he said it was refreshing that someone finally figured it out. And to me, this... <laughs> a whimsical device that's like fucking up the entire economy. Yeah. A whimsical device. Right. And this is like... It's frivolous. This is the whole... <laughs> this is the whole Trump strategy to just like be like... To act like it's totally normal when you get caught doing something. To be like, oh yeah, I'm so happy you noticed that. I've been lying. Yeah, they're gaslighting us. They're all gaslighting. They're all gaslighting us. us. Okay. This so is disgusting. Peter Navarro. Oh God. So Peter Navarro. Nope. 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 To this you. Whole thing. Nope. Okay. Thank okay. you for the rundown. I'm sorry. Was that boring? Was that terrible? It's <laughs> <laughs> fine. Those are that's news you can use. Okay. It's important. It's important stuff. It sounded shocked, like you said snooze you can use. It's <laughs> snooze you can lose. <laughs> news you can snooze. Worst case, it's news you can snooze, and we'll move on to the next item. Okay. okay. <laughs> 
So we talk a lot about millennials here, and really, often we're talking about Gen Z, but we just lump them in and call them millennials. Right? Everyone calls everyone millennials. Like <laughs> we're millennials. Like when they're talking about like yuppies, they call them millennials. <laughs> it's become like a like a term of art for like a certain type of person. Right. Well, they're 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 special. Everyone knows they're special and they have special needs, especially when it comes to what they eat. Yes. And I think we didn't we do an item like a year ago about how they don't like using utensils anymore. I don't know about if it was. Oh no, no, they don't like using can openers. Like they were eating tuna fish out of oh, a yeah. can with their hands oh, or yes. something. Oh. And of course, they don't like straws. They don't like um, straws. Uh, that's plausible, right? But now there's an. Uh, we have a late breaking update. They also don't like using plates. Oh, yes. Wow. Well, plates are passe. It's all about bowls now. No, 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 no. no it's bowl- pa- we've leapfrogged over bowls. <laughs> <laughs> this Not is this? now. This is breaking news. They're skipping all crockery. <laughs> Going straight <laughs> to the store. And caterers stores? are now piling food directly on counters and tabletops. Oh, yeah. okay. So they're, millennials are killing all types of dishware, Yes, they're just put it, like throwing food like, willy-nilly yes, on, the table, on the table, and they call them grazing tables. You know, oh. I've actually seen this. No. Yeah, it's a very fine dining. Yes, it's right? like a cheese board, except the cheese board oh. is the whole table. Oh. With like vegetables Why are you validating out? this nonsense? Wait till you hear where this is going. No good can come of this although we should have brooke hammerling like, our cheese influencer on, yeah yeah chef's table but okay yeah, continue. you saw it in wall street journal same place i saw it <laughs> okay so um they do provide tiny forks that these caterers sometimes and they but they encourage people to eat with their fingers because it's more authentic so um there's this caterer named stephanie blair of albaline texas um, she says it's less formal. It encourages people to gather around one big table. And because most of the ingredients aren't labeled, uh, it gets people discussing what's on the table and it becomes a great conversation piece. Okay. It's like, what do you think that is? I don't know. What do you think that is? It's like your face is blowing up. Oh, no. Is that like the mushroom I have an allergy to? <laughs> is that a tree nut? I'm allergic to peanuts. Um, and so there's, you know, the the interaction at the party is very different. So there's another uh, caterer in Vail, Colorado named Pamela Davis. She has a, a company called Graze, The Grazing Fox. Okay. So oh. the whole the whole theme of the catering company is the grazing. They say it's you like s- animals. Yes, <laughs> they are like animals. You, they say you see people pick it first and maybe form a line. And ten minutes into the table, it's surrounded and people are eating and using their fingers. It's like Lord of the Flies: kill or be killed. At a party? Yes. At a cocktail party? Yes. People are just like putting their snout, like hands tied behind their backs, snouts in the trough, or on the floor, or on the floor. <laughs> They're just eating prosciutto and cheese. There's vegetarian concerns because the cheese is touching the meat. Everything's touching everything. Nobody wants to actually start taking the food because they're worried it'll like disrupt the artistic display. Yeah. And the biggest problem is that there's a lot of dribbling is the problem because if there's like a dip or a sauce, yeah. you need to like hold, there's no plate, so you have to like juggle your like crudite in one hand and your little like ramekin of olive oil in the other one and you're trying to like dip them and it's a fiasco. So there's ramekins. Oh, Oh, they, that's interesting. They, you're not, they, you don't oh, have to, right. like, cup your hand. <laughs> They're not just, like, little splotches of, you know, dip, just like, lick paint. the hummus. <laughs> yeah, maybe there's, like, an ice luge of olive oil, and you're just, like, <laughs> put it in your mouth. 
like a vodka fountain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no more cocktails. Fun. Just have a fountain. Just put your mouth under it. No more cups. No. no more mugs. No more clothes. People should just come as you are. Come as you are. Just eat off the table. Grace. Right. It's like when you're a kid, your mom's like, you're eating like animals. Well, yes. Now that's yes. finally yes. the thing we should We're all the aspire to. Randy with his face in the plate of potatoes. Yes, absolutely. So we, hunger we will, as we approach our 100th episode in the end of the year, we will again have a live event. And like last time, we will have it catered. And I think that we should bring in from Albaline, Texas, the grazing, the grazing fox, fox to just splay out on this table that we're sitting at right now. All sorts of, all things. Sorts of things. Oils, hummuses. I think we should have all different kinds of root vegetables. <laughs> They're delightful. And they look beautiful when displayed we on the table. We have some right here. We have some pumpkins and gourds. Yes. Maybe you should just get oysters and take them out of the shells already. Oh, no, 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 no. That's the fun. The oysters the without... Well, you can't use your hands for the oysters either. You just have to stick your nose in it and slurp. Just get your nose in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And then like mm-hmm. suck in the, suck in the mignonette sauce or something. This terrifying. is disgusting. This is disgusting. But it, um, it reminds me this is sort of unrelated but somewhat related <laughs> it never stopped us before <laughs> i saw this clip this week of there was like a twitter thread of like the most disgraceful pop cultural moments of the past like several years and one was this clip of demi lovato and she was asked by a journalist what is your favorite dish and she was like i like mugs Mugs. <laughs> Mugs. Like she actually interpreted there, that as so dish many wear. So a dish, dish, she interpreted it as like piece like, of crockery. Yes, yes. But then the other, does she consider a mug a dish? <laughs> there's so many layers <laughs> going on. She's like, I like that there's a handle. an entire episode to unpacking that quote. <laughs> okay. Enough to say nope to this no, whole no, nonsense. Fine, no. Just eat with yes. your forks and your plates and yes. wear your clooves and have a nice cutting board sure. and a nice... Brooke Hammerling inspired cheese. Only odd numbers of cheeses. Only odd numbers. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Nope. Rachel, what do you have? Um, So I want to talk about Lauren's great essay this week about um, tech inventors. Um, And, you know, Lauren, tell us about what you wrote in Wired this week. I thought it was really interesting and very informative and made me think about things in a new way. Sure. So there is an inventor named Andy Rubin, who some of you may know if you've been following the tech world for a while, and some of you may not, but he is one of the co-founders of Android, like the Android operating system. Like invented it. Yeah. He actually started a company called Danger that preceded Android and then started, you know, helped found Android and built Android into what it became as part of Google. And then at some point uh, around 2014, 2015, left Google and started another company that was both a, a, a venture firm and a kind of tech accelerator. Sort of backed by Google money. though. Yeah, right? backed by, I mean, it has raised money from a lot of different sources, but one of the the funders of this new entity was was Google. But as it turned out through the New York Times' exhaustive uh, reporting, and also uh, the information had done some reporting on this as well, it turns out that his exit from Google was a little bit controversial because he allegedly had had, um, you know, sexual relations with uh, an employee. He had reportedly coerced somebody into oral sex. He had berated subordinates, and he had allegedly watched bondage porn at work. All of these things had come to light, had been brought to the attention of Google Human Resources, and he 
exited the company. But when he exited, he was given a multi-million dollar exit package. Right, which was reported at like $90 million. He disputes that. Yeah, we did did a big segment on this. We were one of the few places that really covered this and called them out. (laughs) Right, Right. but it was like what you would call a friendly exit or a hero's farewell. And then he- Not a Viking funeral. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right, exactly. He, you know, he has, he can afford utensils, unlike millennials. And and so um, since then, he started this company called Essential. And Essential- started to make a new kind of Android smartphone. The first smartphone did not do very well, but then just last week, he tweeted after a year-long Twitter hiatus, a new kind of mobile device that he was working on. And this sparked some some conversation on the web. Some people on Twitter, um, notably some male tech journalists were immediately like, I want this thing. And what's this new thing from Andy Rubin? Right. And, and I want this like tweeted in like shine. a year. Yeah, right? He hadn't tweeted in a year in the, in the prior tweet before that was like him refuting the claims that the New York times had made. Yeah. Um, so like his prior tweets from October, 2018 were like, no, you know, this is like grossly exaggerated all these like claims of sexual misconduct. And then his next tweets were like, look at my shiny phallic thing, <laughs> which was very strange in my opinion. Yeah. And, but some, strange juxtaposition. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And some tech journalists just jumped on board the gadget bandwagon and said, like, I can't wait to see this shi- weird, shiny prong of mobile weirdness. And <laughs> I was like, you should trademark that. Look, I mean, I didn't say it. I'm not okay. going to say it. So someone else tweeted that. And I, I just said, you know what? Like, we should be rethinking the way we consider tech products. Yes. And, and so I wrote this for Wired, and it's something that we've been thinking about for a while, not just in regards to Andy Rubin, but in general, when we look at some of these massive and highly influential companies, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Amazon, whether it's Google, whether it's somebody like Andy Rubin, um, they're putting out new products all of the time. But at this point, it's kind of hard to disassociate, I think, the ethos uh, of the companies from the products they're putting out. And so that was like the gist of what I wrote. And I think it comes back to this conversation that we've even had before, which is how, how do you or how should we disassociate art from the artist, from the product, from the product maker? Should we be doing that? Can't we just enjoy things anymore? Um, and I think it's a conversation worth having. So that was right, basically but we, what we I have wrote. it with pop culture now all the time. It's of course, kind of, like can we listen to Michael Jackson? Can we watch Brian Grazer movies? Or like Woody you know, Allen movies? Right, Woody Brian Grazer. No, Brian uh, Singer. Oh, Singer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, no Brian Grazer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like Bohemian right. Rhapsody, which I boycotted. Yeah, but we can't. But we don't until your essay. Nobody really thinks about it in terms of like these messianic people. Creating Creating these devices that we cover generally until now, like before there's a device, before it exists, before anyone uses it, before when it has, I think you said, 0% market share. Right. right? Like, why should we give this guy any of our attention, given the stories that have come out about him, the very credible accusations? And then if it does catch on for God knows what reason, it should always mention the context of who this guy is. Of who is this person? Right. Yes. Right. right. Like, well, I think there are like two things to consider here. And one is that it's not just that these figures in tech are so powerful. It's evaluating when they have potentially abused power and then sort of making a decision based on that. But I, I think the all, the other thing to consider as well is that anecdotally, we hear people say things like, well, I'm deleting my Facebook because I'm so upset with the way they handle my privacy settings or I'm concerned about disinformation campaigns that are happening on the platform or whatever it might be. But then 
traditionally you see this lag between when anecdotally people start to say that and when it actually impacts their bottom line. Because if you look at earnings quarter after quarter, Facebook is still doing tremendously well. And, right. and they're, you know, they're really, really adept at moving into other platforms, whether it's WhatsApp or Instagram or VR or wherever the next big thing is going to be. So I think it's, it's like considering how you want to engage with technology as a consumer, but also understanding that at some level um, that might not make that much of a difference because of the amount of power these companies hold right now. Um, anything else on this topic? No, I just think What's nope to Andy Rubin. Nope to his <laughs> okay. new phone. I didn't want to cut it nope. off. New, you don't want his new phallic phone. I don't phone. want his new phallic phone. I don't want to hear from him. He made enough money. He should go hide in a hole. That is my... Well, yeah. Thing. And it comes down to opportunity, too. Okay. It comes down to this whole idea of, like, how many chances do you give people who are in positions of power who maybe abused it and, and at some point that's just what we have your to chances are up and there's plenty of talented people making devices that we can focus on well i know you're lauren i know you're an objective uh journalist and even when you wrote a, a very thought-provoking piece like this you presented it more as a question to think about than as a definitive opinion so we will not make you say no okay no we will, but we well, we will say nope but we, we rachel and i will say nope to andy Rubin. we've given him a nope before so why not just do <laughs> okay, it again just do it again nope nope uh, let's stay in tech or tech adjacent for a moment yes, here. Yes, or wannabe tech. We love taking down WeWork, despite the fact... Oh, here's a great example. I Companies that I'm an investor in are in WeWorks. I was in a WeWork today. Your husband works My in a husband WeWork. My works out of a WeWork, yes. Okay, so we are in, enmeshed in the WeWork industrial complex We here. can't get out of it. It's like we're stuck in this cube. Because the product yes. is so good. And it I've been good. so curious as someone who now lives on the West Coast but used to live in New York, I'm so curious what New Yorkers think of well, WeWork. Well, here you go. You're about to hear. control over real estate that exists here. Um, here we go. So, Rachel, you want to lead this? But I have plenty to say well, as so well. Josh works at, he's worked out of a WeWork for the past few months, and he really enjoys it it's a great experience and there are these um phone booths where you go in to make your private calls and it's really the only place because it's kind of loud in there sometimes and it's hard to get a meeting room so um unfortunately (laughs) uh josh got an email today from WeWork to all their clients saying that the phone booths contain cancer causing formaldehyde (laughs) and are thus going to be removed from all of the way the entire entrepreneurial (laughs) class of this generation is going to be wiped out by formaldehyde poisoning now like what (laughs) like i did not expect that like of all made of asbestos like all the calamities that they build this in 1932 not because this is funny but i'm laughing because if you had you know maybe you've lived in california but if you live in california everywhere you go there's a problem 65 sign that says the building you are entering and the experience you are entering and the coffee you are drinking and like the stretch pants you are buying <laughs> could cause cancer like the it's Equinox, literally everywhere the, the peloton yes. you are so it's just it's, it's like not funny but it's funny to me that it has now trickled into we work in new york, well, in new york we're not as used to these things right. we are a, a neurotic city <laughs> and at the mere suggestion of formaldehyde in our phone booths people go screaming people scream, jumping out the windows <laughs> 
So so now you can no longer make a phone call in a private space in okay. a WeWork. So that's, so that's, just, that's so just one thing. Th- th- these are the ripple effects, I think, of the uh, of the big markdown, the failed IPO, the ouster of uh, Adam Newman, the 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 cash crunch they're going the ca- through. There's supposed to be 2,000 layoffs this week, which really fucking sucks because they've hired some super talented And it's all people. on the promise. It's all on the promise that like you're going to be rich. You're going to be rich. Right. I think Karen Scott on Recode were talking about like there's this whole group of people who were I know this because I had a company that almost went public and like the cash register things go off in your eyes and you're like wow 30 days from now I'm going to have gonna a be million worth dollars millions. Yeah. right and these are people who are basically like managers of an office building right they're like living in Brooklyn they're making like 150k they're yeah. like thinking and they're of shopping it. for property yes and, and this all makes it go away and now they're not even going to have jobs right which really sucks so all for the like the ego the messianic ego trip of, of adam, adam newman, newman and his wife yes. right so there were other i there were a bunch of articles about we think of we work as offices but you know part of their vision is that they were going to have schools and you know living facilities and so forth and that has all cratered as well because now they've put some grown-ups in charge and they have to scale back on the nonsense and actually just run a real business here right, so before the they run out of cash right so they have the schools that um it, there was only one and it was uh it's closing at the end of this school year but then they had these we live facilities and there were two in new york and adam newman a couple of years ago at a, some investor conference said that he thinks that by in 2016 he said that by 2018 20 25 of the revenue of we work will come from we live mm-hmm. um so they're not going to become a residential which real is like a company. dystopian residency where yes, it's, it's like in, communal. Uh, what's that show, that movie mm-hmm. thank you for calling thank you yes 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 it's yes. like that Exactly. Sorry, sorry to bother you. Or sorry yeah. to bother you. It's a polite <laughs> telemarketer thing to say. Exactly to, that was like, an amazing movie. <laughs> so amazing, I can't remember the, the title. Tessa Thompson, who I love. That was amazing, yeah. right. So the story of that now, uh, this was amazing, is that there's only two, and people live there, and they're actually relatively happy, but they started noticing people like with roller bags and like tourists walking through the halls. And then they set up like a portable like stack table in the lobby, and it ter- then they found that there were listings for we live you know rooms on orbits. <laughs> so people were like people. It was like a short the- stay. No, no, no. It wasn't even like the residents. Like they just couldn't fill the residences. Oh, so, so they WeWork were- was putting it on the market, like Airbnb it out, oh, except like so as like hotel a hostel, room. like a youth hostel. It's like a youth hostel. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> With and like it's people living in live. file cabinets. It's like we live for two days. <laughs> <laughs> like a fruit fly. <laughs> Are there steam rooms or schwitzes like in the... A schwitz? Uh, I don't know. There's schwitzes no, nearby. Isn't, isn't it's downtown Manhattan. This, I mean, like, this is like, what his thing. He gets his ideas in the steam room, right? Oh, yes. A, Today there was right. that article about the origins of um, of WeWork at the Kabbalah Center. Oh, yeah, <laughs> tell me about that. I, um, <laughs> I'm going to mess up the numbers here, but there was this like, you know, a couple of paragraphs in the article, which was written by my former colleague at the Wall Street Journal, Shane D. Rice, who's very talented. And um, she was talking about how, you know, there used to be all these meetings at the Kabbalah Center and the Kabbalah Center provided early support and would give, you know, lectures at WeWorks. People and don't know, Kabbalah is like a weird, mystical, culty offshoot of Judaism. Everyone knows what it is from Madonna, from Madonna. and the okay. red, oh, the red bracelet. Our, yoga. Didn't yeah. insult our listeners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but basically, WeWorks stole their motto, f- like from the Kabbalah Center, which is um, raising the consciousness of the world. That's theirs. That's theirs. That's theirs. And that was in their IPO so it's like of their Heal corporate... The world. 
mission statement, raising the consciousness, raising the world's consciousness was with, the Kabbalah Center. With fucking office With offices. Spaces. Like, no, <laughs> yes. no. But so there was this one moment where he's like in the Schwitz, I think. And oh, he this is the Schwitz. And he decides that he wants to raise debt. This was like a <laughs> That's couple... always what I think about when I'm in the Schwitz. <laughs> and <laughs> financing. <laughs> financing. Yes. Corporate paper. Yes. <laughs> and he multiplied his age, which was 39, by um 18 and then added two, 18 is a then added number. two million dollars and i'm not like gonna add this up correctly but it was like <laughs> that's seven, how much you decided it was to like raise 700 well it's high high is life uh high is life chet, yes. yud, yud, chet, yud chet is uh 18 uh-huh. and you flip it and that's chet yud which is high okay and that's how they get to that so it's life it's life that number is life but i think what he did when he added the extra two million he put a hex on himself oh oh interesting wow you don't and just fuck for with a paltry two million, million. <laughs> what is two million at that point right? why add why it? add two more i'm right. very Wait, curious he's still, the losses this company are in the billions he's worried about two million in debt i know right that's, that's a little fakat. strange yeah. I, I, I blame <laughs> the shits i blame the maybe he's oh, Rabbi is Kabbalah rabbi. His judgment was clouded. Okay. While we're on, we can I just in, inject one more thing? Yes. So I was in a WeWork this morning, actually, and I had mentioned before how the honesty markets are gone now. That's where you like take the things and you're supposed to pay, but paying is so complicated that people just take it and say, they I'll take pay it later, and, and they don't take and run. I've never done that myself. Um, but uh, today it got worse. So you know they have those little uh, – the water coolers with the dispensers with the fruit in it. And you're like, oh, delightful. Oh, yeah. They had those at Twitter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, today I went to go pour myself a delightful glass of pineapple water. And the dispenser, like the little thing you you pull Mm -hmm. up, was totally broken. It pulled off in my hand. Um, and it didn't work. Brian, this is depreciation. Ooh, it's I feel like it's a bad it's omen. End of time. Yeah, because end pineapple of is supposed to be a, a good, like a homewarming gift, isn't it? What, the water? No, just pineapple in general. Oh, yeah, yeah, I that's think right. it is, right? Yeah. And so you actually pulled the nozzle off of pineapple water, and I feel like this is just a bad omen. It's very symbolic. Yeah, like high. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's like deferred maintenance right. also. Like they're just not <laughs> the focusing right. on their water. Yeah. No, so it's water. a little thing. Just like the broken window theory. Yeah. Once the pineapple water goes, like <laughs> what? who knows what's next? The flood. <laughs> the flood. <laughs> Floodgates are open. No, no we were. No, we, we can't were. say it enough. I know we're like obsessed, no. but we'll continue to be obsessed until it. Uh, you just keep until giving us delicious which stories. Is what they also well, predict. Very sad. Okay. I mean, okay. I know all the I've, I feel sad for the people who work there and for the startups that are that working are out of there. And they're going to have there. to scramble to find somewhere to work. Like, where's Josh going to work? I don't know. Where's uh, there'll be a resurgence home. in home office? Work from home, and he's going to walk Coco for you. <laughs> okay, you know no, shut it down. We got to move on. We got to move on. Okay. Um, very briefly, I'm going to try to do this. So um, I'm going to tell you a story very briefly. It's technology related about a guy named. A Russian guy named Sapijat Gusneva. And like many people, he was intrigued by the Bitcoin phenomenon and decided to buy some Bitcoin. Who among us has not been intrigued? I bought I bought a Bitcoin once, one Bitcoin, and then I had it in one of these like Coinbase purses, purses and it was so secure that I can't find it now. You lost your key that you can I never get access to it. I lost my key. You can never get the whole point of it, right? So I bought it for like $500 and I'm sure it's worth, I mean, even it's probably it's worth, worth like $10,000 yeah, now. Yeah, and I yeah. can't get it. So this fuck you. This is a nightmare. Bitcoin. We anyway, got to find it. It's not as bad as what happened to... Uh, Sepizat Gunesyev. Um, he ordered a Bitcoin. 
And what showed up, I don't know, they make it sound like it's an Amazon order. What showed up was something called a gay coin. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is why I come on this show. It's like, a gay coin. They okay. got a gay coin. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'll tell you what, it, what happened after, but he's suing for a million rubles, which is probably like $12. <laughs> but, so the, the gay coin came with a note, like the instructions, that said, don't judge until you try. Okay. okay. Good. Oh. I agree with that. Don't judge until <laughs> you right. try. And so here's the quote. I'm not going to do the accent. I always <laughs> botch the names, and I'm not going to do the accent. The guy said, I thought in truth, how can I judge something without trying? I decided to try same-sex relationships. Okay. He wrote, now I have a boyfriend, and I do not know how to explain this to my parents. He said also that life has been changed for the worse and he will never become normal again. So it's all what because he accidentally ordered a gay coin <laughs> a gay that sent him on to this To which I would say, this is probably the definition of a pre-existing condition. I, I do not fully agree with like, that. I don't think the gay coin turned... No, this is a correlation, not a causation. Yes. Okay. So um, he claims that Apple, quote, pushed him towards homosexuality through manipulation, oh. even though the app was separate from Apple by putting in the app store. He says this changes cause me moral and mental harm. And yeah. the thing is, he has a good chance of winning this case in Russia because even though homosexuality is was technically legalized, there's this crazy rule that outlaws gay propaganda against minors oh whatever this it is, is which like is a legal scheme yes. this is a, right yeah this it's is like scam. this thing turned me gay and right this and thing turned it's me an gay. anti-gay culture and so exactly right. except this guy is clearly gay yeah he's using this as a cover to introduce his boyfriend to his parents but i have a question i yes. don't know anything about this story <laughs> i'm just gonna say that right now so okay i have a lot of questions yep. first of all like how did he wind up getting a gay coin instead of a bitcoin that I have no answer to. <laughs> and is the gay coin? It was clickbait, probably. Clickbait. Okay, so he, he thought did, he wasn't paying attention. Uh, sure, he was on a gay porn site. <laughs> he was on Grinder. He was on a, yes. And Grinder, the Russian Grinders, like you have to pay in gay coin. Right, it's run on on the blockchain, yes. and gay coin is what you mine when you are on Grinder. Yes, <laughs> is that what Grinder? <laughs> that what makes Grinder money? The blockchain mining gay coin. It's mining <laughs> every gay hookup. Coin. Every hookup, you get more gay coin. <laughs> it's yes, a virtual currency that's system. That's how it works. Right, you're in points. That's how it works. It's totally anonymous. Yep. Yeah, perfect. And it's untraceable. And this is the money of the future. This so is, I think he should embrace it. If that's the case, then the single gay guys I know are going to be the richest people in the world. <laughs> because <laughs> they're mining, they're getting mined, mining every single day. So don't sue whatever your no, name is. No, accept it, embrace accept the it, gay embrace coin. it, and uh, nope to you, nope for, to you for, for making up this, this facade story. And gay story. coin, yep to you for like like scamming in on the Bitcoin. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> good we need more you. gay coin. <laughs> I think that's why nobody like we we tried to like hire like people to help us and work for this and no one wants the job. I think it's because we offered to pay them in gay coin. Oh, no, I think it's because we offered to pay them in dollars and not gay coin. <laughs> okay, <laughs> shut this down. No, no, no. no. Okay, Rachel, I, I, 
I had this topic about killer meteorites that I think we're going to push to next week because this is just running so much longer than we thought because right. it's so good, so much fun, and you have a really great item coming up for our yups. These are the little yes. rays of light, the little beacons of hope that kept us going through this terrible, terrible week. Yeah. Rachel, please take the stage. Yeah, this week really was so terrible, but like there was this one thing that I saw on Twitter that really brightened up my day. Um, there's a company in Wisconsin called Penzi's Spices, Yeah, oh. and um, this podcast... We are, we love spices, you know, so, so you have so many spices, you have, oh, oh, you have a Penzi's Spice? Oh my gosh. I am a mail order customer of Penzi's Spices. You are already a customer. Okay. So this is. You didn't know, we didn't know this. I didn't know this. This is a surprise. This is more than three and a half ounces of Penzi's right here. Right here. Wow. Chicago steak seasoning. And as we'll figure out, this went to the, to a good cause. The profits yes. from this. Yes. So um, it was revealed this week that this random, like, family-run Wisconsin-based company called Penzi Spices is the second biggest spender on ads containing the word impeachment on Facebook after Donald Trump, who's obviously running anti-impeachment yes, ads. Yes. The second biggest is Penzi Spices, and they've been running pro-impeachment ads. And they were so excited, so tickled by this, that three days ago they decided to run this promotion where any new customers buying spices on their website, they would donate 100% of the revenue to pro-impeachment ads on Facebook. Well, now we have our sponsor, so they, everybody. They raised close to 500 thousand dollars in the past three days and i was one of those new customers and i ordered i looked in my spice cabinet i was like i could use some cumin i could use some pepper you know they expire they expire people never people never renew their spices they're they like supposed to last six months i've had this for three and a half years you know what i'm I'm embarrassed to say i moved from new york to silicon valley about six years ago i still have spices from penzies and there's a great penzies right in downtown menlo park that i really since i didn't even know the connection but i I get a lot of my spices You get there. spices mm-hmm. there. So it is run by this really like woke guy named Bill Penzi. It's a family business. And um, I talked to him today and the interview context was suboptimal. As I mentioned earlier, I had jury duty today. So I spoke to him on my lunch break and uh, I thought, what better place to have to do an interview than a Starbucks? I could find a quiet corner and I get into Starbucks. It is under construction. There is like work people <laughs> drilling and then hammering. Like <laughs> but I, you know, they stopped for a moment and I sat down at a table and I called him and we started talking and then a crazy woman came up to me and started screaming that I was in her seat, even though I wasn't, and pointing what to What does it mean to have your seat in and, Starbucks? And, and I was like, I'm, I'm on the phone. Seating, I'm doing an interview, and she starts pointing to her ankle. This, these are people in Would Queens. Would you say she was spicy? She was spicy. They're very spicy in Queens. So I got up and went outside to do the interview, and I told Bill, I'm sorry. And then there were ambulance sirens and then i went back inside and i was standing under a speaker and it was like blasting justin bieber so that said <laughs> i have a clip interview, from the interview interviewed mr penzi yes and, and uh, i apologize if there's any background noise i tried to mute myself after i asked the questions because it was so fucking loud but um here's what he had to say tell us what what you did this week because it's truly extraordinary yeah, no, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what it all means, too. Um, basically, we, we got into, like, a, we, we do our, our Facebook posts, and we talk about the issues of the day. I mean, that whole, you know, sort of 
a cook's eye view, this idea that like when you help other people, good things happen is sort of where cooking really lives. And and this this new administration, and, and honestly, what the Republican parties have become, it happened here in 2010 in Wisconsin and North Carolina, Missouri was all the test ground for what's now happening nationally. But this idea that you can somehow make the world a better place by being cruel to people, often people who have less advantages than yourself, um, you know, is, is sort of against our message. So we've been trying to figure out, well, how do you counter that message? And so, you know, the, the kindness of cooking is where that lives. But anyways, we do our Facebook posts. We talk about what's going on. We use that to, you know, to generate, you know, more more customer interest and stuff. But anyways, we um, we did a 1,500-word post. It mentioned the word impeachment once and impeachable another time. And then someone did some sort of scan where they went through every sort of post that was boosted on Facebook and and found that we were number two in spending to just the president himself. And that generated a whole lot of phone calls. That's incredible. Um, and how and you are uh, devoting 100 percent of the proceeds of online sales to Facebook ads over the past you know, few days. Right. Well, people were like, you know, we have enough spices, but we just want to give you money to continue promoting this thing on Facebook. And it's like, ah, to me, that just seems like a slippery slope. Suddenly you're taking money without doing any work. And what does that mean? So, I, I, you know, nothing I want to get into now anyways. But so what I came up with and on short notice was how about, you know, we could use new customers. How about any new customer spending at Penzies.com for it was it was it was um, Sunday and Monday. We'd send it into Tuesday. But any new customer spending will devote 100 percent of that into future Facebook posts that mention the word impeachment and, and, and hit on that theme and, and try to work to create change. And and so that sort of took fire as well. And we ended up generating $481,000 in new customer spending in that time period. And all of that's going to go then to some sort of wonderful posts I'll be writing, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I wanted to say I count myself among some of your new customers I ordered this week peppercorns and Thai spice and Italian spices and cumin. Um, and, you know, I was wondering if you had any, like, special recipes, because <laughs> this uh, podcast is pro-impeachment, but we are more than anything, we are pro-spice. Oh, cool. Awesome. Um, you know, we have a really good ground pepper, too. The whole peppercorn thing, we got great whole peppercorns, but, uh, but you know, sometimes it can be a lot of work, and you fill your pepper mill, and it gets empty, and it moves off the table, and something you're not using as much, but we have really good ground pepper, too. Um, you know, I'm... I, I, I cook most uh, every night for, we've got three kids. We've got, my mother-in-law lives with us. My mother's just down the street, so she's over for dinner. So, I mean, we have this, this festival of cooking pretty much every night here. Um, you know, I mean, so much of it, though, is just like, what is it that you like, you know? And, and so we have, you know, a, a seasoning that's, that's great for frozen pizza. So if you're just doing that, you can have a good tasting frozen pizza. But, you know, it, it doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to be complex and there's just a lot of things we have that are, you know, part part of why we're able to get away with what we, we do is that our spices are really good. One of, my, one of my favorite quotes or my favorite email that I got a little while back was, I'm quitting you for a fourth time. That that people, you know, yes, they don't like what I say or it, it, it gets to them. But at the same time, they need to get their, you know, they need to get their pepper. They need to get their cinnamon. They need to get their pasta sprinkle. Great. And so could you remind our listeners like where they can go to get Penzi's spices and, you know, again, like 
we look for these little glimmers and beacons of hope all week because everything is so terrible. So we give you a huge yup for everything you've done this week. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, we're, we're at Penzies.com, P-E-N-Z-E-Y-S.com. Um, we have 60 stores across the country at our website. You can sort of find if there's any of them close to you. We hope to have more soon. Um, and, and, but, but I think coming to the site, I mean, signing up for our email, which, which, I mean, it really cooks are wonderful people and their outlook on life and what they set in motion by having this, this kindness to sort of buy things, work on things, and then just give away food to people who need it. You know, we, we try to bring that voice of cooking and, into what, what we do and, uh, you know, becoming a part of us. I mean, it, it really is an upbeat kind of thing. All right, Rachel, that is, you're on the frontiers of journalism. Like, right? Like, yup Who would have thought Penzies. when you told me you were going to try to call the Mr. Penzi, <laughs> I was like, you will never get that interview. He no, is a hot not property this right week. now. I know. And then you just called me and said, he's on the docket. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yup. Yup. What's it? Bill Penzi? Bill Penzi. Bill Penzi. Yup to you, Bill Penzi. Thank you. He gave us some feedback on the podcast as he well. He did. He did. He, he may listened. be incorporating some of it in the future weeks. Yes. Uh, so, yup to you. Uh, my yup very briefly is to Ronan Farrow, who you saw last night. I did. Um, I have not read the book yet. I have not seen him in conversation with Rebecca Traster. But what I can say is that I know that there were lots of scoops in this thing and in this book. And uh, the most important one in my mind, or the one that's gotten the most publicity, is the Matt Lauer scoop. We talked about him last year when he was sort of exiled and, and fired. NBC overall. NBC overall. So now we're going deeper and finding out, like, you know, behind every great crime is a bigger crime yes a cover-up so it's not just what he did what he did is worse than what we saw and then there was a cover-up and they knew about it for ages and so forth and that kind of information does not come lightly like you have to really dig and there's not a lot of that kind i mean of course the times and the and the and the post and he's the new yorker they're they're doing those that but it's so little of it nowadays and he's just a very courageous journalist journalist to Mm -hmm. go out and get those stories and also nbc is a powerful company and they hate him now and uh I'm sure, you know, they're trying to blackball him. And they, his... they, I mean, they killed his story. They, yeah. like, yeah. slow-rolled it and then killed it. And um, he was like, fine, fuck you. I'm going to yeah. The New Yorker, which is amazing. Yep. And then yeah. six weeks later, his story published, which became the Pulitzer Prize-winning story. Yep. And yep. two of the things that he and Rebecca Traster talked about last night was, the first was... Um, how all of these little sort of disparate stories, I shouldn't say little, but disparate stories have published in the media in recent days because it's part of the marketing for the book. And if you were to read each individual one, which is the story about NBC News or the story about AMI or the story about Matt Lauer, you would think they're all separate. But what the book is supposed to do is actually bring together this whole idea of how systemic the abuses yes. of power are. Right. And so I'm looking forward to reading the book just Me to get too. a sense. Well, of that's that. the power of a and book, then, right? Right. There's more than and, just and it's more than just it's like more than just an article content. Exactly. And then the other thing that Rebecca Tracer had the chance to ask him was, Ronan, you are a person of privilege, essentially. You're someone who grew up, you're a white man, you grew up in a Hollywood Famous family, family. Yeah. you went to Ivy League schools, you worked for the state department. You had all these, you have prestige. And yet when you went to NBC, you know, you encountered for the first time what it feels like to have this lack of power and how did that influence your reporting? And it was a really good conversation. And I think that a lot of that shows in the, in the book too. Yeah. Okay. Well, stay tuned. We'll be covering more of his amazing journalism to come. Rach, uh, uh, Lauren, you have a yup. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to light, we're going to lighten it up a little bit here. Yeah. It's really fun. I have a couple of yaps. Okay. Oh, 
Uh, my first one is Kendall Roy's BDE. Yes. Oh, yes. Because yes. you know that I couldn't get away from the, doing this podcast without talking about Succession. No. No, we In had fact, to talk about we Insidious, we were, yes. insidious Presence. Oh, my God. <laughs> we were going to talk about it, Succession for like a good 40 minutes. We're In recording fact, we really did. late because we, we couldn't before, stop talking yes. about Succession. And now I just have to talk about the, the season finale of season two of Succession, which aired on Sunday, last Sunday, where Kendall Roy... I don't want to spoil it for people, but he just four days. You can spoil it. All right. (laughs) He just, he throws his father under the bus. You know, he goes through this phase where, where he's going to take the heat for the giant corporate scandal that's happening at Waco. And instead he gets up to the podium with a prepared speech put in front of him by all of the PR handlers. And he takes a separate speech out of his suit jacket and he says something else. And he throws his father right under the bus. This is after his father, Logan Roy had accused him of not having a killer instinct. And he showed that he had a killer instinct and it was super hot. Uh-huh. And, yes, it was. Oh total yeah, he PD. and Naomi were sending each other nudes after he gave that speech. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> and we also talked. Rachel and I were texting earlier this week, ironically, before uh, the season finale had aired. Rachel and I were text messaging, and I was saying to Rachel, "I feel like there's this theme where food is a metaphor for power." For on everything the show. On we the talked show. about yes. like. Tom asking the boyfriend to return the wedding wine and then Logan chucking the lobster, the surf and turf when he determined that he didn't like the smell of the house. And, and the mother serving and, like meager oh, food yes. and then saying and Greg and the, the egg and going to Greg Sprinkles. And, yes, and Greg the egg going to, but also Greg the egg like being very uncomfortable with the idea of eating the songbird, whereas Tom obviously sees it as a power and move. And of course, bore on the floor having to and beg for sausages the floor and the, the sausage. And then Rachel, talk about the ultimate power move of the season. Oh my God, it was the chicken moment with Tom asking, sitting down with Logan and just grabbing a chicken wing off of his plate and eating it and saying, thank you for the chicken and like walking away. (laughs) It was so bizarre, so madcap, but also such a power move on the part of Tom. I'm I'm just waiting till I can do that. I'm trying to figure out who I'm going to do. I'm going to do it to you. (laughs) Yeah. I'd be, Watch like, out. I'd be like, all right, have some chicken, whatever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you eat off my plate all the time. I know. Yeah. I know. I feel like I do that to Josh all the time. <laughs> okay. Thank you for the chicken. The sardines. Okay. What's Kendall your other? Roy, uh, what's Kendall your Roy other? is my yup. I'm yes. so yup for like all things Kendall slash Jeremy Strong. Uh, I can't like, wait just, for season three. Oh it's my gosh. Be so amazing. Keep it coming. I love it. We're just going to okay. switch and become a recap podcast. Yeah. What are we going to do for the next 10 months? Like what? Like I'm very depressed. I hope it's like 10 months and not 23. Oh like, my God. I know. I know. They have oh. to find all those locations, the yachts. Right. Okay, yes. Laura, what's okay. your other? And then my other one is, so I work for Wired Magazine, as you kindly mentioned earlier in the show, and there's been a lot of really crappy news out there lately, but for our November issue, we decided to focus on 25 people who are actually looking to fix things, who are, as we put it, racing to save humanity, and this ranges from people who are trying to um, you know, work on our immune systems to help solve cancer, to calling out bias that's hidden in facial recognition technology, to people who are looking to big tech to clean up, clean up algorithms. It really runs the gamut, but I really was inspired. Um, I didn't work on any of these stories, but I was very inspired by the folks who we wrote these mini features on. And so I recommend that if you are looking for a dose of positive news, yes. go check out our Wire 25 stories of people who are Fixing quote unquote things. racing to save us. Yes. Lauren, you are 
among our finest guests. Oh, we are always finest. so happy to yes. have you here. Like we've done enough yups now that I'm feeling a little I'm feeling a little, a little like we want to go out and do some karaoke. We like may. we want to go celebrate. Yes. Like we came in and we were suicidal and yes. now and thanks now to we're you. Feeling we're much better. Feeling much better. Well now thanks to you I know exactly what happened in the debates last night and what you know what's gonna happen to Rudy Giuliani this week. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for that. All right. So uh we've been running long but it's so worth it. Thank you yes. for staying to the end here because uh, this is one of our Yeah, I love this. This is one of the most fun episodes we've had in a long time. So thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed, please rate, review, subscribe. Just uh, tell other people in real life. Turn to your uh, left, turn to your right. Just say, listen to this week and know. Grab their phone, subscribe, give us five stars. Or not to put you under the gun, but I'm sure you'll tweet about this episode. I've already (laughs) tweeted from my my mind computer. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much for listening. This has been This Week in Nope. The podcast where we shut it down. I'm